get back to that song in a minute. Uh, I, I take the responsibility, the opportunity um, to get up here and talk to you about the scriptures very seriously. So I actually have patterns that I keep in my life. They're um, pretty organized so that when I, when I get here on a Sunday morning, I'm the most organized I've been. Um, I'm rested. I'm clear. I'm at my best. I cannot say that this week. This was a, this was a week. Um, somebody I know and care for uh, attempted to take their life. And I make mistakes all the time. But the thought of making a mistake that you get to never recover from is heavy. And I've been walking with a group of people who have been affected by that decision, wondering, did I do something? Did I cause this? Did I miss something? And I'm tired. I'm emotionally tired. I, I'm, I don't feel like I can be as focused as I need to be this morning. And here's what's so weird. What I'm about to talk to you about today, I was in the middle of preparing when this all went down this week. And I can't but help but notice the hand of God in all of that. I didn't change anything to prepare what I would talk to you about and so I, I really want to do it justice. I just don't have it. So I'm just going to ask um, that we start this morning. If you would just join your hearts with mine. And just pray with me as we begin. God, I'm convinced um, that what we have to discuss today is based on your design, this, that you had this in mind. Uh, we, we planned this months ago, and for it to intersect in this moment in time and this place is just, it's you. It's, it's, this is the kind of stuff you do. But this morning, I, um, the normal inadequacies that I would feel coming up here are just supersized. And I'm just asking for the Holy Spirit to show up here, to take whatever nugget of things that get strung together and to use them in a way that communicates what you wanted to say this morning. I want that. So I offer the best of what I have right now, and I ask that you would just take that and use it in whatever way you can. 
God, I ask that there would be open hearts and minds to what you have to speak through your scriptures this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I heard that song that they just got done playing, and it made it through the first chorus, and I was like, I hope the rest of this song holds up, because we have to have this song on this weekend. And it did. Um, There are two questions in that chorus that just caught my attention and drew me in. What are you trying to hide? What are you running from inside? Those are the kind of questions that are going to get brought up in this series that we're doing where we're talking about what happens in your mind. This place where nobody else sees what's going on. Nobody nobody sees or hears your thoughts. And sometimes we try to run and hide from this stuff. And last week we talked about sometimes that's not how it works. You're not hiding from it because you don't even know. You don't even know what's going on in your own mind. You're not aware of it. And so um, this whole series is an attempt for us to to kind of take seriously what goes on up here because it's so powerful. Your mind is so powerful. It can shape and change the direction of your life. We're basing this all on, on a verse that Paul was inspired to write in Romans chapter 12. This is verse 2. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. There are all kinds of them. We're going to talk about a different pattern of this world today. There are all kinds of patterns of this world that kind of we conform to. It's just easier to go with the flow than against the flow. But he says this instead. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the way to beat this stuff is to deal with what you think, what you believe, what you accept as true. And he says there's some payoffs for this. He actually talks about a motivation, by the way. The the other reason I love that song was it gave the number one motivation for why you would change. I don't know if you heard it in that song, but he said, do you love someone enough? Do you have enough love in your heart to get your hands dirty? Getting your hands dirty is another way of saying, are you willing to do something to change what you're up against? And he names the number one motivation, love. If, if, do you have enough love for you to do what it's going to take to change? He, he named some others too. Are you fed up? Is, is there a sunset that you love? An appeal to beauty? Is there anything in you that would cause you to want to change the way you're thinking? The things that you've accepted as true. And then he gives a payoff. He says, there's a reason that I would do this. By the way, in verse 1, he says, I want you to do this in view of God's mercy. In view of God's love for you, you have a major motivation for why you would want to transform your mind. But here's the payoff. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You get an opportunity to know God to know the direction that he wants for your life, to have a purpose for how you live that comes with transforming your mind. And without that, you can end up 
kind of trapped. And so we looked at, we, um, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on in the mind. I get that. We're talking about a little narrow piece of it. We're going to talk about the stories that we tell ourselves. And so last week we talked about these big defining stories that we talk about. They, they shape our whole world. Whenever we look at a situation, we see it through that lens. And we might not even know or understand that we're doing that because it's just reality for us. And if God hasn't been the one who's given you your reality, if he hasn't given you your purpose, and you're the master storyteller of your own story, what you could be writing will take you off course it will, it will cause you to miss out on the will of God in your life. The very purpose for which you were created may pass you by. So he has this warning. We talked last week about how Paul said this could be futile. Like this is futile thinking. It's a darkened mind. You're in ignorance. Why? Because you've never been exposed to the way God sees your life. You've always thought your reality was the right reality. And so we started to challenge ourselves to dig in and find this. Well, today we're going to look at a different story. It's, it's maybe the opposite, on the opposite end of the scale. Um, it's not big at all. It's small. Um, it's, it's, um, I don't even know if I would be so bold as to call it a story, maybe a micro story, maybe a mini story. It can, over time, create a story of its own. But it tends to come up, it pops up in your life as a situation happens. So it's not there with you all the time. It's not coloring everything that you see. It just shows up on occasion to mess with you. And it has a real um, ability to do this. Um, and here's what uh, I think is interesting about this. You're actually going to have an easier time identifying these small things in your life than you will the big thing. See, the defining thing that you have in your life is like a lens that you've worn for a long period of time. So everywhere you turn and look, it's always there. So it's hard for you to recognize when it's there. But these little things that pop up in our lives, these little stories that come to us, on a good day, you can recognize that's not good. You can recognize that that thought is not helpful, that that thought is not kind. But there is something in us that, that fears they could be true. I know it's not good. I know it's not helpful. I know it's not kind. But it might be true. And because it might be true, we pay attention to it. We focus on it. It gets our attention. Now it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't do this all the time. It just happens in key moments in our lives. It happens um, to disrupt key relationships because it pops up just at the right opportune time to cause a mess. And it challenges us. I, I, maybe I would call these statements. It's a statement that's made into your, into your life. And maybe you would understand it this way. How many of you would say that you have an internal personal critic? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
they come out of the dark at the worst possible moments. And they will, over time, wear you down. See, on your good day, when your personal critic goes off and you know it's wrong, you just say, be quiet, I'm done with you. But on other days, I've noticed this. I made a list of when I think this has impacted me, when, I, when I've watched it impact others that I've talked to. When you get weak, when you get physically tired, when you've been struggling with something for a while, like you are trying to break through, you're trying to break through, but you haven't yet, and it just feels like it's work, 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 and you're not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, when you're emotionally drained, when you feel defeated, or oddly enough, when you feel like you've just utterly succeeded and done something great and incredible, you almost feel somewhat invincible in the moment. It's in those moments where that thing that you would normally reject because you know it's not good, it's not helpful, it's not kind, but because it wears you down, it gets a little seed in your mind. And this is how this works. These little statements, the reason they become so powerful is because the fear that they could be true begins to torture us. And we put that little statement on replay in our mind. I would look at you and say, um, be kind, don't rewind, right? Do the opposite of what you would do with your VCR tape. Don't, don't put that in there and run it over and over and over in your mind again. But the power of this is that you're so afraid that it could be true that you start giving it credibility and it reverberates and it reverberates and pretty soon that little statement dominates your mind. What's happening? What's happening? There is a pattern of this world that has set itself up in your life. It's a, it's a something is feeding your inner critic and when your inner critic gets going, it has the ability to attack anything and everything. Again, I made a list. These are things that I've, I've sat down and I've listened to people. I've felt them myself at times. Your inner critic will go off on your own character. It'll go off on your appearance. The little flaw that you have that will just eat away at your mind. It'll bring up your intelligence. You made that mistake? It's an intelligent problem that you have there. It will deal with your abilities. It will do everything it can to stir up insecurities that you have. And I want to know why. Like, why do we listen to it? Why do we pay attention to it? Where does it come from? What is the process that's going on? And from what I can tell, I think there are two sources, two main sources for these kinds of things that come into your life, and they're unexpected. Isn't it the weirdest thing? Like, you're in a, you're in a moment of where you just succeeded and did something great, and a thought enters your mind of criticism that says, if people only knew who you really were, you wouldn't think so highly of yourself right now. 
where you go through a hard day and you finally get home and you're in this quiet place where you think you can get some rest and peace. And in that place, a statement enters your mind about who you are. How, how does that happen? What's going on? Well, I, out of the two sources, I want to start with one that I'm going to go back and just do a little history on. In Revelation chapter 12, we're given a, um, an account of something uh, that happened in the heavens. God created this amazing creation. This creation got so full of itself that it believed that it should be worshipped just like God was worshipped. Scriptures refer to him as Satan. And, and he, he believed he was somebody that he wasn't. And he gets cast out of heaven. Now we're getting an account. We're getting, kind of given a historical account here. But something is said about him and the way he operates in Revelation chapter 12 that I think you need to know and be aware of. I think you need to pay attention to because it's significant. So in the middle of verse 10, in the middle of the story about what's happening in the heavens where he's going to be cast down, it says this about him. This is verse, middle of verse 10. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Friends, like it or not, you're in a war. You're in a war with somebody who is on a constant lookout for when they can hurl an accusation into your life that will trip you up. When you're, when you're on the tops, like you're the peak, the best that you are, and you think nothing can touch you, here it comes, an accusation. When you're down and you're weak and you're feeling defeated, here it comes, an accusation. How is it day and night it seems to be available for you because he's nonstop accusing? It just doesn't stop from him. And it could be anything. You're an idiot for making that mistake. How stupid could you be to say those words to that person? You're not lovable. You haven't been lovable your whole life. You're not worth caring about. In fact, you have no friends. No one cares for you. These are not large stories. These are statements that get thrown into our lives and we let them bounce around in our minds. We let statements about our appearance, our weight, any flaw that we might have comes soaring into our lives. Things like you're not qualified to be the mom that you are right now. You shouldn't have that role. You're not a good enough husband. You're a real failure with what you're doing. Over and over and over, there are accusations that come, including your life is just not worth living. 
These are things that the enemy of God and those who went with him would gladly offer up to you. And sometimes we hear these things and we do not know that what is going on is a battle for your soul. That's what's at stake. Because this stuff is presented to you in a way to create instability in your life. God thinks about you in a certain way, has said stuff about who you are. And anything that can come and undermine that starts to crack the foundations that you stand on. So when God says, listen, I made you fearfully and wonderfully made, and then you disagree with him and say, yes, but look at this flaw that I have, and it consumes your mind and dominates the way you think. Eventually, you stop believing that God made you wonderfully. And what happens is a fracture happens between you and God, and this is what the enemy wants. The ultimate goal, the ultimate goal in all this instability and creating doubt and creating fear and creating any insecurity in your life is to find a way to drive a wedge between you and God and you and others. Because if he can separate you, if he can isolate you, then he can dish to you all day long. Lie after lie after lie. And there is nobody who is with you to defend against that. God Almighty himself would go to bat for you, but because you've isolated yourself from him, you're on an island. My friends, let me make this clear. God's enemies are out to destroy you. And I, I, I don't know how to say this, except I'm just going to be direct. If you're paying attention at all in our culture right now, there are all kinds of identity issues going on. All kinds. You should not be surprised by that. What, what is the story of Satan himself? He thought he was somebody that he wasn't and demanded to be accepted as somebody that he wasn't. And when that was rejected, he created a pattern of this world where if he could convince you that you are not who God says you are, he could simply destroy you. And everywhere you look, there, this idea of who you are is being attacked. This is, this is not a small thing going on. And ultimately, it will end up destroying you unless you find a way to transform your mind, to change your views based on not what you think should be right and good, but based on what God has to say, based on who God says you are. And when he says you're fearfully and wonderfully made, you don't fight against that, you accept that. And you start working through the process of what you have to do to change your thinking that lines up with God instead of focusing on the flaw that you see in the mirror every day. This, this is a real battle that's about isolation and ultimately 
your destruction. And it's not surprising to me that we are seeing rising rates of suicide across every category, every one of them. Because if I can convince you, you have no value, then it's easy to take that step. It's easy to make the unbelievable believable when you're isolated. Now here's the thing. It's easy to blame all of this stuff on Satan. But from what I can tell, he's not the only source. I think he started it. I think he started a pattern in this world <clears throat> where when you, when you look at the world that you're living in, you're influenced by that pattern. And so some of these statements come flowing into our lives from other people who have been impacted by the pattern of this world. So what they say, what they do, what they think is not influenced by God. It's influenced by somebody whose identity is messed up and theirs has been messed up. And so they deliver unkind words into your life. And I don't know why it is. But it seems to me that those sometimes almost have more power than the ones that are delivered from God's enemies. Because at the root of it, again, it's this fear that it could be true. And I was just told by another flesh and blood human being that I have this thing in me that's messed up, that's wrong, that's broken. And they wouldn't have told me that unless it could be true. So we start taking that in. And our culture, who is struggling under a pattern of thinking, turns and delivers stuff into our lives, and we give it credibility? We, we don't check it against what God might say about who you are, why you are the way you are, what he cares about. We let a friend determine our worth and value. We let somebody who doesn't even know us well shape our thoughts and minds. Because what they said should be taken with credibility. Odd. We act on these things. Um, maybe even more difficult is when somebody you love and care about says something harmful to you. Maybe they offer up a harmful comparison that wasn't valuable or good. And instead of being able to recognize that, it goes internal for us and we push replay, 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 replay. And then we act on that very message that's not from the hand of God. And ultimately it will have the same result it will separate you from people. It will separate you from God. It will do some destruction. So what do we do about this? Paul's writing to a church in Corinth. 
And um, he addresses this very kind of stuff that's going on. He says this in chapter 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We're, we're again back in this idea that you and I are at war. It is just the reality. It's not guns. It's not knives. It's not clubs. This is about the way you think. This is about what you accept to be true and real. That's, that's what's going on here. And he says in verse 4, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The, the weapons that we're supposed to be using are a transformed mind that causes us to understand who God is. These have the ability to demolish strongholds, which I would say to you is a statement that's untrue about you that you've accepted into your life that now just pops up on occasion and determines how you act towards another person, how you act in the world, because you believe that statement to be true. It's not there all the time. But it messes with you. It's become a stronghold in your life. And God's design is to give you power that would destroy that. How? Listen, verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. It's, it's almost like he's the same writer of Romans. He is, by the way. Where he says, listen, if you're willing to do the work of transforming your mind, you're going to know God and his will. And when you start to know God and his will, when you hear something that's not true, you're going to recognize it immediately. And the knowledge of who he is becomes your defense. Your knowledge of who you are in him becomes your weapon where you demolish these things. They're gone. You don't accept that. I don't agree. I know what God says about me. And it goes on. It's even better. I love this part of the verse. This is the second part of verse 5. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's this idea that when those statements come flooding into our minds, we evaluate them based on who God is, who I know myself to be in God. And if it's not right, we say, shut up. You're done. I'm, I'm going to take you and put you out. I'm not going to give you my mind and think over and over and over. And I'm not going to give you what you don't deserve. We take it captive. It's like an active thing that happens in our lives because of who God is for us. Because of God's great love for us, we're set on a path where we can evaluate what's true, what's right, what's good based on his view of the world, his identity of who we are, not ours, and it changes everything. Listen, I, I found this in Romans. I just think it's so cool. I, I want you to know that so little has power over you. Do you guys know that? 
This is Paul writing in Romans 8.38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see that list? It's impressive what has no power over you. No power to separate you from the love of God. Staggering to realize your mind can. God allows you to take in thoughts. And if you choose to not transform your mind, but instead to follow a pattern of this world, you can be separated from the love of God that nothing else can do. Nothing. He's available for you, fighting for you, trying to set the standard for who you are. This is what God is actively doing on a regular basis. But we hear this interpersonal critic speak up and it inflames an insecurity that we have. And instead of checking that against what God has said, instead of checking that against what God thinks about you, it sets the tone for how we interact with each other. And truthfully, even when the source is other people, there ought to be a sense of grace that we have for each other, knowing that all that's happening is they're living out a pattern of this world that they were never intended to live out in the first place. And instead, we're angry and bitter that they would have said something, instead of having a sense of grace and mercy for the fact that they said that in the first place. The whole thing, the whole thing just gets messed up because we don't understand. We're in a war. There is a pattern of thinking that is taking place in this world that if you don't have your radar on, if you're not sharp to it, it will pop up into your life mess you up and disappear. And it will show up at the worst times possible to undermine and ultimately isolate and destroy you. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to talk more about how I think God views you. Because I think that's got to become the foundation for how you fight this. But this morning, it's a simple question. Do you have any statements running around in your mind that you know? You know they're not good. You know they're not helpful. You know they're not kind. But they are on replay right now. This is the time to turn it off. To put yourself before God. Because if you're not careful, my friend, your isolation will lead to a place where you distrust God and other people. You will feel you are alone, and the enemy will attempt to destroy your life, period. In view of God's love, 
in view of how much God deeply loves and cares for you, will you consider transforming your mind? Taking that statement that is not kind, that is not from God, taking it captive and putting it where it belongs. In the pits of hell. Can I pray with you? God, I think the stakes are high. I wish I could tell everybody here that as they get older, these battles with these statements come flying into our lives are going to go away. They're going to lessen. They're going to feel less brutal. And I don't think I can say that because the enemy is, and he's wise. He knows how to pick the right moment to cripple harm and hurt us. And being older doesn't protect us from any of it. You are the only protection that we have. And God, it's why there is a call in the scriptures for us to transform our mind. To not simply follow the pattern of this world. God, if we would do this, we would become the kind of people who aren't delivering unkind words into each other's lives. We would be looking at people and saying, that's not true. You can't accept that. We'd be knocking down the walls of isolation. God, we need transformed minds. Ask for protection from an enemy who would destroy, isolate, and separate. God, we need you. You are our only hope. May we find our story in yours. In Jesus' name, amen.